Today is August 30th, 2021. I want to thank you guys for joining me. My name is Eric Hoven. I'm the president of Creation Today, a ministry that seeks to help people turn the stumbling blocks in their life into stepping stones on their journey to understand and know the truth of the creator of the world. We want people to understand that God's word and God's world can come together in a perfect way that brings about unity and harmony and really helps people understand the truth of why we're here and where we're going when we die. Our hearts are incredibly heavy today. The people of America are wondering who's really running America. Uh, why did we spend the last 20 years trying to set up a country with a government that can run without the Taliban, only to have the Taliban take back over that country in just 10 days? We're wondering why did we leave behind, from my understanding, $85 billion worth of high-tech equipment and leave that in the hands of the Taliban? Why has the withdrawal from the, of the people and the allies from Afghanistan been such a complete disaster? And many people are finding themselves asking the question, does God even have a plan? And if he does, what is it? What is God's plan for Afghanistan? I'm really glad you're joining me tonight. I think that the conversation we're going to have is going to help you put some pieces of the puzzle together. Some of you that uh, uh, maybe you've never known some of the information that we're going to present tonight. And I, I believe at the end of this time, at the end of our hour together, you're going to find yourself saying, I'm so glad that God is in complete control. In the middle of what looks like unbelievable, heart-breaking circumstances, we truly can trust God. I'm joined by uh, an amazing uh, man, Nathan Jones, uh, helps run Lamb and Lion Ministries. They've got... Uh, between their YouTube channel, their mailing list, their um, their outreaches uh, via uh, television and internet, they've got a they've got a large reach, helping people understand something that I don't typically talk about. What's coming? <laughs> What's going to happen? See, my ministry creation today, we deal with how creation is really important to today's world. Uh, Nathan and his ministry, they do a great job of talking about what is to come, and so. Well, I think these are two bookends that deserve to be talked about together. I really don't talk about the end as much. Uh, so I'm really thankful for Nathan, for his expertise, and for what he brings to the table here. Uh, Nathan's with Lamb and Lion Ministries, and I've asked him to come answer the question with me, what is God's plan for Afghanistan? Hey, Nathan, thanks so much for joining me today, man. I really appreciate it. Hey, greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope. How are you doing, Eric? Man, I am blessed. I do. I feel incredibly blessed to be here in the United States. My heart goes out to the fallen soldiers. Uh, we haven't lost this many an entire year, and in one day, we 
we get some unbelievable news. Um, we have just gone through, you're probably on the outskirts, I'm right on the outskirts of a hurricane that has come through, from what I understand, 16 years to the day of when Katrina came through and caused all kinds of destruction. We're watching um, our leadership make decisions that most Americans are scratching their head, liberals and conservatives, and pulling our hair out going, what is going on? And I can't help but wonder, Nathan, is all of this, <laughs> I hate to use the word, but is all of this necessary to bring about what is to come? And it's, uh, it's like, ah, what? How do we know what's going to happen? What is going to happen? What does the Bible say about this? And, um, and how should we feel? How should, how, what should skeptics see that don't believe any of this? How should they feel? What, what should Christians feel that, that trust the Word of God? So I come to you tonight with a heavy heart and a lot of questions, and I've just always appreciated your ability to, uh, to communicate and to teach, and um, just kind of wanted to learn from you tonight and give all of us an opportunity to learn. So that's kind of where I'm at. Well, it's great partnering with you guys again. Uh, folks don't know, Eric and I have been friends many years. Uh, we've worked at uh, conferences together. I always see the Bible as a complete book. All 66 books are the Bible. So creation through revelation is one story of God trying to bring humanity back into a right relationship with him again, back to the Garden of Eden. So he covers more of the beginning of the Bible and I tend to cover more the end of the Bible, but you can't have one without the other. So I think it's great that you're opening this up, Eric, to having um, uh, Bible prophecy discussions here. Of course, at Lamb and Lion Ministries, we talk a lot about the creation. And matter of fact, one of your articles made it into our Lamplighter magazine about flat earthers and what a cult it's become. So uh, there's a lot of sharing. I, I'm glad we're not in two separate camps that never talk to each other. I got to be honest, me too, Nathan. Uh, we we did a webinar, guys. We did a webinar a year ago, um, and the webinar was entitled, Is This the End of the World? And this was, man, election coming and all the craziness happening. And uh, we did this webinar, and Nathan, it was uh, the number one conversation that people listen to on our website. Uh, it's still there. You can go if you're a Creation Today member. You can go, you get to see all of our past webinars, so you can still watch that if you haven't had a chance to watch it. Nathan, I love that conversation because you went through, here are the 10 signs of what to expect that the, that the Bible prophesies. It tells us, here's what to watch for. It's very clear. And especially after that, I found myself going, I don't want to be ignorant of these truths. I want to understand what scripture says. And it was in that, you said it's, um, is it 27% or 33%? of the Bible is prophetic. 27%. Uh, I've seen as high as 31%. There's kind of a gray area, about 4% there, but you can be rock solid short, 27% of the Bible. And we'll get into a little bit that tonight, I hope. I would love that because I do feel like many times I, um, I love studying about, but I don't, I don't typically talk. I just, hindsight's 2020, man. So I, I just want to be right. Okay. So I just want to talk about the stuff that's already happened. I'm like, you start talking future events and I'm like, I've seen a lot of people be wrong about that. And I don't like being wrong. So, uh, is that, by the way, is that something you can address too? Just the, I recognize there are people that follow you and your ministry. There's people that follow us in our ministry that probably disagree with either some of the things I believe or some of the things you believe. Can you, can you real quick give kind of a caveat on how you guys handle it? Cause I, I, 
I feel like you guys try to handle it with grace and truth and say, hey, we understand there's a variety of views, but can you kind of help us, put us at ease about what we're about to talk about since we're going to talk about a future event? Well, absolutely. Well, for one is we interpret the Bible literally. Well, that's our foundation. If the plain sense makes sense, don't look for any other sense, lest you end up with nonsense. Nonsense. I love that. When it comes to studying the creation, what's the best way to know how it exactly happened? Well, you had to have been there 6,000 years ago. Same with Bible prophecy on the other end. We're not there yet. But the Lord has given us many different signs. He's given us many different prophecies. He wants us to know what the future holds. And so he gives many prophecies. When you interpret them literally, and of course in context to literary genre and taking into account symbols and stuff like that, you can understand Bible prophecy just like you can understand creation. Now, where you see people mess up and really ruin the credibility of Bible prophecy is they go beyond that. They start going with their own pet theories, pet ideas. They break Matthew 24 and start date setting when Jesus said no one could know the day or hour. Uh, they get dogmatic about their own interpretations, and then when they don't come true, it discredits the Bible. And you guys experience that same thing with gap theorists and day-age theorists and stuff like that. We have the same problems, too, in the Bible prophecy. And But if you stick to the Bible and take it literally, and if you always allow that they're uh, – that it's not primary doctrine, we'll get more into this later, that the study of end times eschatology is a, a, something that should divide the brethren because it's not a primary doctrine. I mean, like uh, the divinity of Jesus and the resurrection and those subjects, those are primary, this is secondary. But again, there are still some grounding factual evidence that the Bible gives us, uh, fulfilled Bible prophecy that helps us trust that what the Lord says is gonna happen, happen. For instance, there are 300 in general and 109 specific prophecies about the first coming of Jesus Christ. You know how many of them came true? Every single one. Every single one. Now, Peter Stoner, <laughs> who's a mathematician, calculated that if only eight of the 109 were fulfilled in the life of one man, it would be one in 10 to the 17th power. That's one followed by 17 zeros. Even gave an analogy. I'm here in Texas and Dallas. And he said, Imagine you fill Texas two feet deep in quarters, mark one and throw it in, then grind it all up with bulldozers, blindfold a man, set him loose in Texas. The first coin he picks up, that's the one with the mark. That's the likelihood of one man fulfilling eight prophecies, specific prophecies. It can only be Jesus Christ. And Jesus did 109. So if we can trust, that 109 fulfilled prophecies about Jesus happened at the first coming, we can trust the 500 general prophecies and 100, uh, excuse me, one in 25 verses in the New Testament that prophesied Jesus' second coming and be trusted 100%. Now, for those of you joining me on Facebook and YouTube, I do want you to know that uh, we get a limited amount of time with you if you want to be able to actually ask our guests questions, you can join the chat, you can ask questions. We stay on for an extended amount of time, kind of behind uh, the scenes. Uh, I, I don't want to get deplatformed by YouTube or Facebook, and they do that a lot. So we go a little bit further behind the scenes. If you want that, go to creationtoday.org forward slash live, and you can learn how to join us on the Creation Today side. But, uh, and oh, and also uh, for families out there, hey, uh, the youngest one who can understand me, go get the Bible, get a copy of the Bible, 
hand it to mom or dad or to the oldest person in the room and help them turn to Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. And you're going to look for the word Afghanistan. Look for the word Afghanistan. Look really hard, okay? Adults that are paying attention, it's not in there. But let them look for that. And, uh, and Nathan, you can tell us what's really going on there. I, I, I do want to find out what's going on with Afghanistan in the Bible. You're telling me there are prophecies that reference the land of Afghanistan in Scripture all the way back in Old Testament. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, I'm going to let you jump in then, buddy, and uh, take us away. All right. I even have PowerPoint. Ooh. Can't beat that, man. Can't beat that. So I'm going to go switching over. All right. Everybody loves a good PowerPoint. I'm the guy who wants to take everybody's PowerPoint so I can learn how to to teach better. (laughs) So this is a a long presentation that I created. It's an hour-long teaching. I'm working on my doctoral dissertation. This is actually one of the academic presentations I did about understanding the Gog and Magog war and how to use it in evangelism like creation today. We believe that Bible prophecy is one of the greatest evangelistic tools out there. So you can study any aspect of fulfilled Bible prophecy and witness to people and it helps people come to know the Lord as their savior. Another thing it does, I'm gonna quote a uh, Dr. Ron Rhodes, who's a big name in Bible prophecy. And this is, is kind of the foundation of understanding how God works. He says, if biblical prophecy teaches us anything, it is that God is in complete control of human history and its culmination. So let's address the issue right off the bat. We see that the world is going crazy right now. Natural disasters, weather disasters, upheaval in politics, in economics. Uh, we're seeing diseases. We're seeing uh, uh, turmoil, we're seeing countries overturn, and it leaves people a lot of time wondering, is there a God and is he doing anything? And that's where Bible prophecy comes in because the Lord tells us ahead of time pretty much what he wants us to understand. Matter of fact, he said in 2 Peter 1.21, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So here we've got this prophecy that the Lord gave through the through Jesus, he was a prophet, through the prophets, through the apostles, so much so that 27% of the Bible explains God's overall plan for the ages. Now, it's kind of like this, though. What are we looking at here? Well, we're looking at a puzzle, right? Well, what is it a puzzle of? Well, the more pieces you put in, the more you kind of understand what you're looking at. And Bible prophecies like that. It's like God's given us a hundred piece puzzle when it comes to his plan for the ages, but so far he's only given us 75 pieces. Now you can definitely make out the outline of a picture, but until certain events unfold, which then adds a new piece to the puzzle, the picture will remain incomplete. Now these absent proverbial puzzle pieces, they've been a stumbling block uh, to those who wield Bible prophecy, who use it like I do as an evangelistic tool and to those who are witnessing to because they cannot properly see the big picture of God's redemptive plan for mankind. They, they want the whole picture all at once, but you can't get the whole picture all at once until certain events unfold. So what they end up doing is, is falling into this fallacy of what's called newspaper exegesis. Uh, they, they look at things through the lens of the newspaper instead of the lens of the Bible, and they come up with all sorts of conclusions that make a real mess of the field of eschatology. And that's why if you're a student in the Bible, you go to this 
dirty word. It's a five-letter word. It's called study. The proclaimer of God's word must be able to study a particular biblical prophecy, and much like a diamond, carefully examine the many glistening facets. And to do this is to order discern exactly what revelations the Bible desires to impart. For instance, one such incomplete prophecy we can find in Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39. So if you have your Bible, please turn Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. And it concerns what's called the Gog and Magog battle or the war of Gog and Magog. Now, if you've already read it, and I'm sure you have, at first read, as one theologian so colorfully commented, the book of Ezekiel can appear as if it's a perplexing maze of incoherent visions, a kaleidoscope of whirling wheels and dry bones that defy interpretation, and it causes readers to shy away from studying the book and to miss one of the great literary and spiritual portions of the Old Testament. And you know what? He's exactly right. Uh, sometimes we get to these Old Testament prophets and we read them and we're like, ah, I don't understand, and back away and go to something more simple like, like Matthew or Numbers. But uh, this is why we will evaluate uh, various Bible prophecies to help us understand what Ezekiel 38 and 39 is. And in the process, as we're mining the book of Ezekiel for its rich spiritual truths, I love this quote, rich spiritual truths that strike with peculiar force upon the hearts of men. Folks, it's my hope that you'll be brought face to face with a transcendent God, a self-existent being who has absolute power and is constantly revealed in glory. Our God is sovereign. So even though the world appears to be falling apart, all the pieces are actually falling in place. So let's get into it. Let's get a little introduction to the book first. I want to give you a little background so you understand okay. where this prophet is coming from. So 2,600 years ago, the great Hebrew Navi, which means prophet, his name was Ezekiel ben Buzai. He came from the priestly family of Zadok, and he went into exile in Babylon in 597 BC. And there he unveiled a prophecy the Lord God had divulged to him concerning the future of the nation of Israel. He recorded in the books of Ezekiel chapters 36 and 37, the two chapters before 38 and 39, the prophet revealed that God would fulfill his promise to regather the Jewish people out of all the countries of the world where they had been dispersed and bring them back to their own land that had been promised to their forefather, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Folks, we are living in that time period. Since Israel became a nation again in May of 1948, the Jewish people have been flooding from all over the world and making Aliyah, it means return to the homeland, back to Israel. So one of the prophecies, though, about uh, points about Ezekiel 36 and 37 is be like a dry bones would come together. I'm Nathan Jones with your Bible Prophecy Insight. 2,600 years ago, the prophet Ezekiel was shown a vast valley of dry human bones. God declared that they would come to life, and they did. With the great rattling sound, the bones drew together and were given life. God explained his vision. It would be the Jewish people resurrected as a nation once more. In 1948, the dry bones became the nation of Israel again, just as God foretold. The only part still missing is God's spirit, and they'll get that upon Jesus' return. To learn more about Bible prophecy, visit us at lamblion.com.
if you check out Genesis Paradise Lost, they have a pretty cool thing too where humanity's being made. And that's kind of like what Ezekiel was seeing. He saw this dry bones and it represented the Israel as a dead nation and that the Lord would blow a wind in and bring it back and all the bones would come together in the skin and the sinews and everything. And that body would come back together again, but it would be lacking a heart. It would be lacking the soul that believes in God as Savior and his son. So as one commentator said, the bones came together, the flesh crept up over them. They were ready for life, but as yet, there was no life in them. It was still a congregation of corpses. So after all these centuries, folks, this promise found its fulfillment in our generation. When people say, are we living in Bible times? Absolutely, we're living in Bible times. We're seeing this prophecy come alive. And that sets us up for the next prophecy in Ezekiel 38 and 39. It portrays a great trial for the newly established nation of Israel. And it's called the Gog and Magog battle. And it's a trial that will lead towards granting the reanimated body finally to have a soul. So here's the details. The Gog-Magog battle is set between a massive coalition of nations descended from Noah's sons, Japheth and Ham, against Israel. The nations are the territories of ancient Rosh, Magog, Meshach, Tubal, Persia, Cush, Gomer, and Beth Tagarma. They will be led by a leader called Gog, who Ezekiel 38.2 is called the Prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. The battlefield is on the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate. And the purpose of the invasion is to plunder Israel and take booty by attacking the people of Israel. Oh, now, the Nathan, end result, I, go I, I got to ask, do, do you know what all those countries are? I mean, does all, does all that stuff make sense to you? I will once uh, we uh, look at their modern counterparts. Absolutely. Yes. All right. As long as we can make sense of this, because I hear all these names and it's like other Bible names. And I'm like, OK, whatever that means. I don't I don't get that. I'm not a Bible scholar. Well, in that area that, that he was writing this 2600 years ago isn't it sad that the prophets never gave us the modern names of the countries <laughs> yes a little yes easier. it would be much easier but we actually have to go and, and study history and study people groups and ethnicities uh, that travel and, and migrate to understand what countries that he's referring to uh, before we get into that let me just tell you how it ends because this is really cool the end result of such a massive invasion by a seemingly invincible army on an unprotected Israel will end up surprising the invaders and shocking the world. The invading nations are, in truth, being manipulated by God. God says he's pulling them out of their lands as with hooks in their jaws, and the purpose is so the nations feel the sovereign Lord's fury. God drags these specific nations to the mountains of Israel, and the Bible says to bring him to judgment with pestilence and bloodshed, Flooding rain, great hailstone, fire, and brimstone. So all this, these countries will send their armies to try to destroy and plunder Israel. And God will step into history and will use these supernatural judgments, the fire, the brimstone, the, en the enemies will turn on each other. And God's ultimate purpose for obliterating this massive, massive invading coalition is this, verse 3823. Thus I, God, will magnify myself and sanctify myself, I will be known in the eyes of many nations. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. So again, in all things when it comes to Bible and Bible prophecy, it's to bring honor and glory to the Lord. Now God's supernatural victory over the Gog Magog invaders allows him to reintroduce himself to the world and declare in no uncertain terms that Yahweh is personally defending Israel. 
And should the people of the world doubt, they only have to look at Israel, who will go out and set on fire and burn the weapons, and they'll make fires with them for seven years. So the aftermath of this battle, it's so amazing that Israel will be able to take all the materials and things that were left behind and make use of them by fire or, or, or taking the fuel or whatever it is for seven years. Now it also tells us what will happen to the invaders' corpses. For seven months, the house of Israel will be burying them in order to cleanse the land in a newly named Valley of Haman Gog by a newly built town called Pomona. So when this giant, uh, this descendants of the nations we just read attack Israel, Israel has no chance of beating such a massive army. God steps in, he destroys them. The whole world's like, oh, there is a God. And Israel spends seven years using up the weapons and uh, the materials and also cleansing the land of all the dead by burying them for seven years. There's so many that they actually create a new valley called Haman God to bury them in a mass burial. And they'll have to build a town next door called Hamona to manage it. It'll be a major, major project. So, so we're getting... People got to be reading this and going, yeah, right. I mean, or like, seriously? I mean, this is pretty spectacular. By the way, I'm underlining that verse, verse number 23 of Ezekiel 38 in my Bible. That's the reason. I'm going, okay, when that happens, then they shall know I am the Lord God. I hear skeptics all the time say, well, if he just wrote his name in the sky, if he just, apparently he's telling us what he's going to do here. You skeptics, you listen up and watch out. All right. Wow. Absolutely. And it's a big shift from the way that we're seeing God present himself today in the church age, but that'll be getting ahead of myself. There's a little a little bit about the future. All right, we're working our way towards who the modern equivalent of these countries are, but I think we need to talk about the leader of this coalition, because it could be if this event happens in our day and time, and I believe it is, then this leader of this coalition is already alive. Now, Ezekiel wow. provides the prophetic name of the leader of this coalition. He calls him Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. Now, whether Gog's a real name, as was used as a Senator Reuben in 1 Chronicles 5.4, or as a title for some supreme position, say as king or president, it remains to be seen. Now, some mm. historians even point to King Gyges of Lydia, who asked King Ashurbanipal in Assyria for help way back in 676 BC. But then he joined the Egyptian-led rebellion in Assyria. Maybe he's a historical type. Gyges' name in that area became synonymous with terror, bloodshed, and homelessness. Others will try to point to Genghis Khan, who during the 1200s ruled the Mongol Empire, which covered a fourth of Asia, as another historical type. But whether Gog is either historical or the prophesied Antichrist yet to come depends on when you place the timing of the Gog-Magog battle. So either way, the identity of Gog truly lives up to the meaning of his name, which means hidden or covered. So as of today, we don't know who he is, but we do know where he's from. And if it's a particular man that we know where he's from, we can identify the possible position. But again, and this is, I'm sorry, this is different. This king of Gog is different than the Antichrist that will come, obviously, it sounds like. I believe so, yes, based on okay. the timing. And we'll cover the timing a little later. Okay. Let's get into these nations. Who are we talking about? Oh, there we about? go. Who are the modern equivalents? Now, Ezekiel 38, 1 through 6 provides the ancient names of those territories which comprise the invading nations. Now, again, I only wish Ezekiel had gone the extra mile and given us the name of the invading nations. Contemporary to the battle, man, a lot of debate over their modern identities would have been saved. <clears throat> Nevertheless, God prefers students of the Bible to do their research 
the following list is the equivalent names and the fruit of that research. So let's first start with Magog, because here, as you can see in the green, that's where we find Afghanistan. So the ancient lands of Magog covered Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan, Tajikistan, and it also includes Afghanistan. Now, <clears throat> historian Edward Yamuchi explains that the Magog were the ancient Scythian northern nomadic tribes who inhabited territory from Central Asia across the southern steppes of modern Russia. These nations today consist of a population of 60 million people, and they're united by one thing. I think we know what they're united by, a shared religion, Islam. Matter of well, fact, yeah. except for the red area, every country here is which used to be fractured for many centuries now in our modern era is connected by one thing islam and with islam is a built into the quran hatred and desire to destroy the jewish people there's a no, question Nathan. that say that, that that a good muslim must destroy the jewish people and so they are united by this and i'll say it, supernatural hatred of the of the jewish people now and you're you're saying all these countries, the ones they're in put, in, or are you saying only the ones in green, only the Magog? Uh, that's one facet of it. So every area that you see here lighted up, that's going to be an area, a nation that, that connects with it. So wow. now let's look at Meshach. Meshach's interesting because it's a bunch of different ancient countries in one. You got the ancient Moshoi or Mushki or Muska tribes. They settled in Cilicia and Cappadocia which is now modern day Turkey. We also have Tubal. The people of Tubal would have been the ancient Tabaroni tribe. And that uh, is down there also in Turkey. You also have Gomer. Now Gomer, the Jewish historian Josephus identified Gomer who founded whom the Greeks called the Galatians, which you read in the Bible, the Gauls, but were then called the Gomerites. So we've also got then all these three, including Beth Tagarma, which is number four, which means house of Tagarma, and it connected entomologically to Turkey or Turkestan. That's its ancient name. Togarma is the ancient name of Turkey. So the Tulgamu resided between ancient Carchemish and Haran, which is modern day Turkey. And it also covers the lands of Azerbaijan and Armenia. And that's the area in the gold area there. So that's those four countries that Ezekiel prophesied against. He, uh, with, excuse me. He also Persia. Now, most people recognize Persia as Iran because it only got the name Iran in 1935. So Persians, the longest running empire that still exists into their modern era. And then you also got the land of Put. The Midrash Rabbah claims Put is not Libya or love, but rather Somaliland or Somalia bordering on Ethiopia. But all the scholars I reviewed say that Put is Libya, and it also includes the lands of Algeria and Tunisia. And that's in the dark blue. Kush, of course, is the Sudan and Ethiopian area. So what Ezekiel prophesied about this giant coalition of nations that's going to come to try to plunder Israel. They'll unite together. Their modern equivalents cover all that land. So imagine all those countries come against little Israel that only has a population of about 14 million people, 60 million people just in the Magog area alone. But Ezekiel also prophesies an area called many nations. He says Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish and all their young lions are just going to observe the battle. Now, who are they? Their modern equivalents are Sheba and Dedan were Shem's descendants who settled in modern day Saudi Arabia. Tarshish then 
could refer to Tarsus, just located outside northwest of Israel, or the island of Sardinia. But I believe, and many historians agree, that the end of the world was called Tartessus, and that was on the southwest coast of Spain. You didn't go any farther because you'd end out in the Atlantic and you know fall off the end of the earth there. And the people of Tartessus used to trade up and down with the, with what was today the, or is today the United Kingdom. So when it says young lions, this prophecy is generally taken to believe the descendants of the United Kingdom in Spain. Now, at the time that Ezekiel wrote this, of course, nobody knew who the new world is. So again, it's theorized, I'm not gonna say it's set in stone, that the young lions or descendants of these two nations are the colonies in North and South America. So in other words, when this giant coalition of nations gathers together and comes against Israel, Saudi Arabia and those Arabian countries and the new world is gonna sit back and watch. Now, what's interesting, if you look at Israel, it's in green there, it's got the little J for Jerusalem. Noticeably absent from this list of Middle and Eastern nations are the countries that directly surround modern day Israel. That's Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, Egypt, Gaza, Iraq, and of course the Arabian Peninsula nations. Now, this is a mystery. Why these many nations are not also actively involved in the Magog-Magog battle, because again, they're all Muslim countries, it's open to speculation. There's another prophecy in the Bible called Psalm 83, where the seer Asaph foresaw Israel subjugating the surrounding neighbors, and it grants Israel a peaceful precondition that Israel, that excuse me, Ezekiel prophesied that precedes the invasion. Maybe that's the reason. I think we're living today during the Abraham Accords. And so we're seeing that the Abraham Accords have aligned those nations, a lot of them, with Israel at this point uh, against Iran. So we're starting to see all these puzzle pieces. Remember that, that puzzle I showed you? The seven yeah. pieces, more and more pieces are coming together. <clears throat> so this one piece that's been missing out of the Magog area has been Afghanistan, because Afghanistan either was at war and ruled by the British and then the Russians, and then for the last 20 years, America. But now it's America's gone, and as you said, tragically, $82 billion of hardware and uh, tanks and missiles and helicopters is now in the hands of the Taliban. The Taliban have already told the world for decades their desire is to conquer the big Satan, which is America, and the little Satan, Israel. And now they have all our weaponry to join in that coalition. There's nothing holding them back. They rule themselves at this point. And so that piece of the puzzle, puzzle piece number 76, just snapped into place this month. That is unbelievable to see what's happening. I want you to go on because Ezekiel goes on to say what's going to happen to these countries. But first, uh, hey, Facebook and YouTube, thank you guys for hanging out with us. This is, to me, a fascinating conversation to go through and learn about uh, Afghanistan and these other countries, Magog, and the battle, the war that's going to take place the Gog-Magog battle as they come against Israel and what's going to happen. I encourage you to read Ezekiel 38 and 39. You can also, Nathan and his wife just put out a video on their website. Uh, if you go to Christ and Prophecy, I was going to say I'll put it in the chat, but I've only got this chat here. Um, if you, uh, what, what should they Google to go to your website? Christ and Prophecy or Lamb and Lion Ministry? I, I do Lamb and Lion Ministry and your website comes up right away. That's what I Google. It's uh, Christandprophecy.org is our website. Or Christ video. It's our Christ in Prophecy YouTube channel. Yeah, so go to their YouTube channel uh, to get the, the rest of this and just do a search for the Gog-Magog battle and really uh, really getting it out there to, to understand. Oh, Marlissa said she'll put it in the in the chat for you guys there. 
on Facebook and on YouTube. Thank you, Marlissa. So uh, get some more information about this or just come on over to creationtoday.org slash live and uh, be part of the conversation. And uh, those of you that have questions, I'll be getting to those in just a minute here on the uh, Creation Today side. Uh, but I want you to do that and then uh, learn. This is an area of study that you need to know. Uh, I asked Nathan, has there been a, an increase, an uptick, an interest in Bible prophecy and in your ministry? And he's like, you wouldn't believe it. There's lots of people interested in this. So go to his, his website, go to Christ and Prophecy. They got tons of resources there, uh, tons of videos that you can watch and learn and grow in your understanding of uh, the beginning and the end. And of course, Nathan, can you give a plug real quick for the Lamplighter magazine that you guys do? Sure. Just go to our website, ChristandProphecy.org. Go to Read Magazines. Our latest edition has just been posted. We have a bi-monthly magazine called The Lamplighter, and you can download the electronic version for free. And there's a great article uh, that uh, one of the perspective videos that uh, Eric and I did together, we turned into an article about the flat earthers. So you can read that in there. So if you don't like prophecy and you think the earth is flat, go there and get really, really mad very, very quickly, okay? <laughs> Hey, thank you guys for hanging out with us. I really appreciate it. Next week, uh, by the way, going to be changing the times to Wednesdays at noon. Looking forward to seeing you guys live on YouTube and Facebook, Wednesdays at noon for you guys. And uh, next week's going to be fun. I'm talking about uh, the Flintstones. Meet the Flintstones with, uh, with Terry Mortensen, all about cavemen. So it should be very fascinating. I'll see you guys next week. Those of you that are Christians Today members, I want to keep going because it gets even more interesting the further we go along here in this battle that's going to be taking place. If you've ever wanted to have consistent growth into interesting conversations that help you understand the foundation of the Word of God and share that foundation with a lost world that desperately needs it, let me invite you to become a Creation Today member. My name is Eric Hovind. I'm the president of Creation Today. We have conversations each week with special guests on a variety of topics that are both intriguing and help us to dig down deeper into God's Word. So if you've ever wanted to truly grow in your faith, let me encourage you to spend a year with me. We'll get 52 sessions together and you'll get to be a Creation Today member that gets access not only to every live event we do and have an opportunity to have discussions with the guests, but also everything we've done in the past. It's a great way for you and your family to grow your faith.